It's a privilege always to come and share with the house uh, where you're planted, and so I'm thankful for Pastor Ryan and uh, his willingness to, to let me share. Uh, this morning is uh, uh, a message that I entitled, uh, A Different Spirit, A Different Spirit, and I thought uh, it's, it's no accident uh, that some of the worship songs that we sang kind of highlight some of the points from my message. We didn't plan that. I didn't know what, what they were going to be singing, and I think it builds off of the last few weeks where we've heard from some some guest speakers, Pastor Matt McGlory and Pastor Joey Sarlo and those. And I think it's a word for us individually, but also corporately. Uh, and it comes from a passage of scripture in the book of Numbers, Numbers, which is an Old Testament book. And I would always encourage you to, to continue to dive into the word and, and revisit the Old Testament as much as you do the New Testament. There's some great stories in there. And, and in Numbers 13 and 14, there's a particular story that we're going to take a look at. I'm going to read the cliff notes. I'm not going to read two chapters full of uh, the Old Testament to you, but I'm going to hit it uh, a little bit here and there. But the story is, um, I, I guess, right in the middle of the Israelites' journey out of bondage. They were in slavery in Egypt. They had found themselves enslaved by the Egyptians. And God had pulled them out of that. And most people know the story of Moses and the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and all of that. There's been lots of movies made about that. And they get to the, the edge of the promised land, the place where God is telling them, I am bringing you to this place. I, I, I have this for you. This is what I'm taking you to. And they decide at that point to send some spies into the land to check it out, to, to see the people, to see the place, to see how it is. And so Moses gets 12 guys together and he sends them in. And, and that's kind of where we pick up the story. There's 12 guys that have been chosen by Moses to go spy out the promised land, the place that God has brought us to and is, is gifting to his people after all of this stuff that they've worked through and, and seen. And it says in, in Numbers chapter 13, verse, verse 1, it said, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and onto the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So they went out and they came back and they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Those are equivalent to giants, big tall people. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land that we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land. They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Not one of those who saw my glory, this is the the Lord speaking now, after all of this discussion. Not one of those who saw my glory in the signs are performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But, this is God speaking, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. I called it a different spirit because there's there's two groups here in this story as, as we finish up kind of this tale of the Israelites leaving bondage in Egypt and on the precipice of the promised land and all that God is bringing them to. You have Joshua and Caleb and Joshua is talked about quite a lot in the Bible. He, he has his own book in the Bible. He takes over after Moses dies and leads the people into the promised land. But there were two people uh, that went into the land and spied that came back with a good report. Not just Joshua. Caleb was one of them as well. And, and there were obviously 10 others that felt differently. But I want to focus in on Caleb today and talk about what God says about him. He says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. I want to talk today about what a different spirit looks like. And, and there's some things that I'm going to say and some topics, some, some bullet points that I'm going to bring up that are, are very popular church phrases, but I'm going to try as much as I can to unchurch those phrases so that we can really grab a hold of them and, and make it practical for us, okay? So we're going to look at Caleb and do a little character study this morning, and I know it's a lot of Bible, but I figured it'd be best if I just got out of the way and let the Bible do the work for me, all right? So let's pray over this morning and hope that it goes well with what we're hearing from God today. Lord, we're so thankful for you. In the season of Thanksgiving, we are most thankful for you and for your son, Jesus, for the sacrifice of the cross and all the freedom that we have because of it. Help us to continue to walk in that. Help us to, to learn something today, to leave different than how we came in, to, to explore this concept of a different spirit, one that's pleasing to you, one that's wholeheartedly pursuing you in every way. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jonathan. You have no mic. He said you're welcome. Um, I stole your mic. I'm sorry. I wanted two this morning. Uh, So what I wanted to talk about, as I said, I titled the message A a, a Different Spirit. And as you read through this uh, passage, that caught my eye. And so I started to dig a little deeper, and I hope you in your quiet time with the Lord, you have those moments where God just kind of pings a verse or a phrase or something, and you just decide, I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little bit deeper into this. And I think that uh, as I looked at Caleb in his life and kind of read through the story, which continues on and obviously focuses on the Israelites eventually coming into the promised land uh, some 40 years after this uh, particular scene in the story, 
I, I, know, I wandered uh, into about three different things that I want to highlight for us that I think um, as we're experiencing our life in Christ, we can reflect on in terms of having a, a different spirit, one that pleases the Lord. Uh, the first thing that popped up to me was in Numbers 13 and verse 30. And this is when Caleb, in the debate amongst those 12 uh, uh, spies that came back from the land and reported out on its goodness, he kind of speaks up, and this is his first sort of foray into the story. It says in verse 30, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And I think the thing that makes this statement the most powerful in verse 30 is if you look back at the very beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land which I am giving to the Israelites. I think that the thing that was on Caleb's mind when he brought back a report with Joshua that said that this land is good and we should go up and we should take it because God is with us is that God said, I am giving them the land. Caleb silenced the people and said, we can certainly do it. I think the first thing that we see in Caleb is a different spirit. And the first point in that is a spirit filled with faith. He was filled with faith. Now, I think one of the things that we hear in church a lot is I need to get filled up or I want to be filled up or I want, we hear that phrase, it's become popular in, in church jargon and there's nothing wrong with that, but I want to unpack what I think that that means from a biblical perspective to be filled with faith, to be filled up and encouraged in the spirit. And I think the first thing that we see in this text, in this passage from Numbers 13, 30, is that Caleb silences the people. It's, it's super powerful what he says. Hey, we can do this. You know, he's standing on the promises of God. And he's believing. But first, before he expresses his faith and trust in the Lord, he silences everyone else. And I think that we see a clear parallel to this in the New Testament in, in uh, 2 Corinthians when Paul says to the church in Corinth, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And this is something that Pastor Matt talked about a couple of weeks, taking every thought captive. That's what Caleb does here. There's a lot of debate and a lot of discussion going on, and it was probably productive debate and discussion. Moses asked them to do a lot of things when they went into the land to spy. Check out the land, check out the fruit, look at the cities, look at the people. And there's probably lots of good, healthy conversation happening there, but ultimately at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, a person that's of a different spirit or filled with faith silences all of the other voices and goes back to God. It takes every thought captive and it measures it against the promises that it knows to be true. And as believers, we know that God's word is true. We know that God is faithful. So I can take every thought, I can take every idea, I can take every conversation, I can take it back to the word and say, is this something that I can trust? Is this something that I can stand on? Is this from God? I can measure it. I can silence the people before me and take every thought captive. The second thing that you do if you're filled with faith is that you involve yourself in community. You, you have to. One of the things that we see Caleb say here in the verse in uh, 1330, he doesn't say, I should go up and take possession of the land. I can certainly do it. 
Although he can, because God is on his side, he most assuredly does not say I. He says we. You have to surround yourself with community. You have to be in, whether it's the circles at local, local city church and the small groups that we have operating or joining the home team or just making it a regular uh, appointment on Sunday mornings to be here and engage in community and conversation with people and build that out. You have to make some area of your life a we. Because as much as you want God on your side and God can do something great and mighty through you, he can do something greater and mightier through we than through I. And I think that in, in Hebrews we see this, it says, let us draw near to God. This is a whole chapter about faith. If we're going to be faith-filled, we go to the faith chapter. Let us draw near to God in Hebrews 10 with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I think there's two sides to this coin. One, you're called to be an encourager of other people. You can only do that in community. You can't encourage other people alone. But did you know that you need to be spurred on? Do you know that you need to be encouraged? Do you know that you need to be pushed towards love and good deeds? I mean, Paul says it clearly in Hebrews to the Hebrew people who are suffering persecution. He says, hey, be spurred on as you're spurring other people on. There should be love. There should be good deeds. There should be some fruit coming from this assembly. And that's why it's so encouraging and so powerful to come in and see, hey, I'm a part of opportunities to go to serve day or go to um, our uh, affordable Christmas event that's going to be happening or just come in on a Sunday and give somebody a high five. I can encourage somebody and spur them on towards something. And that does as much for them to fill them up with faith as it does for me to fill me up with faith. And it's not to say to be inauthentic and you always have to be peppy or smile or anything like that. I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying. Like we can have feelings and be discouraged and there is times for mourning and all of those things. But the community of we can rise above some of that stuff and there can be joy and peace in the face of trial and mourning and situations that are difficult. The, the last part that I would say is this, this three piece puzzle of being filled with faith or being filled up, right? We said that first and foremost, you've got to take every thought captive. You've got to involve yourself in community. You also need to have your, your heart wholeheartedly aligned with God's word. This is, this is probably the most important and most key thing that we let wander from these, these three things. Sometimes it's it's, it's hard in our, in our thought life, and sometimes it's not. We can manage that. Other times it's hard to find community and say so, and other times it's really something we can slip into. But really when we're talking about God's word, that's, that's the place sometimes where we can really struggle with this, this thought of wholehearted alignment. It says in Psalm 119, verse, starting in verse 9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. 
With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. There's a lot there, <laughs> obviously, in Psalm 119. It's, it's probably the longest chapter in the Bible, um, and that's just a portion of it, just a section. But I would challenge you in this, if you read through that passage, it's Psalm 119, 9, 9 through 16. If you read through that and you ask yourself this question, or maybe you ask God this question, what's, what's the couplet here? What's the verse that you would have me lean into, God? Is it by living according to your word? Is it seeking you with all my heart? Is it hiding your word in my heart and, and memorizing some scripture? Is it just praising you? Is it speaking your word over my life? With my lips, I recount the laws that come from your mouth. Is it rejoicing in your statutes, meditating on your ways, delighting in your decrees? I think there's there's plenty in there for any one person, but there's something in there for each of us. And what is it that God would have you focus on to really grow and fill you up, fill your faith, lead you toward a different spirit? Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's memorization. Maybe it's speaking uh, over yourself. Maybe it's singing more praise and worship. What is the thing that God is speaking to you to say, fill yourself with faith? The second thing that I think that we see in the story with, with Joshua, or excuse me, with Caleb, now I'm giving Joshua all the credit for Caleb too. I'm as bad as the rest of them. The second thing we see in the story with Caleb is that he was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And this is another one of those, those phrases that we hear in, in church where you, you, you say you're Spirit-led or I'm trying to be led by the Spirit and that's, that's well and good, and I think we should be. But how do we unpack that? How do we make that practical? I think in, in Numbers 14, verse 6 through 9, we see this in the story that, that Caleb is led by the Spirit. It says, Joshua and Caleb were among those who explored the land. They tore their clothes and said to the assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Don't rebel. Don't be afraid, because we will devour the people of the land. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. He says right there in the passage that the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. It says that he will lead us into the land. We have to be led by the Spirit if we're going to be of a different spirit. And I think the two most practical things that we see here with Joshua that we can apply to our lives is that, or Caleb and Joshua, excuse me, both of them here, is that after hearing all of this debate and seeing how much the other 10 spies were discouraging the people from stepping into the promises of God, they tore their clothes and, and expressed what they felt to be true to the nation of Israel. 
And when you tear your clothes, it's, 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 it's such a sign of, of mourning and distress because you know I'm supposed to be doing this thing and for some reason I feel like it's not happening or there's something in the way of that or we should be going this way but we're, we're headed this way. And so to see this, I think that the first thing that we can practically do is ask ourselves this question. God, what breaks your heart? And how can I make it break mine? And that's a, that's, a, that's a really heavy question that can be very simple at first, but the deeper you step into this different spirit and this relationship with God, that will become more and more complex, the answers and the things that God reveals to you and shows you in that. In the Bible, the word heart is mentioned quite a bit. I didn't know this. I Googled it. So um, <laughs> this is your trivia for the way home. You can call somebody and ask them if they know. The word heart is mentioned 826 times in the Bible. God is very concerned with your heart. And, and mostly, I think he's concerned that his children would follow his lead and have a heart that resembles him. And his heart is, is for people. It just is. At one point, it was, is, well, it still is for me, but at one point it was for me, and then when I became found, uh, he wants to use me to show his heart to other people. And I think that when you look at, at 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, God doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He wants your heart, and he wants you to have a heart for other people's hearts. And I think that if we're going to be led by the Spirit, it starts with that question, asking ourselves, God, what, what around me, what immediately in my sphere of influence is just breaking your heart, and how can I identify better with that and do something about it? But after we ask ourselves that question, we have to be willing to take a specific posture. And that posture is one of humility, but with courage courageous humility. And, and I, I searched to and fro in the Bible to find an example of this, and then I thought to myself, wait a minute, that's Jesus. I don't need to search any further. I don't need to find another Bible character. I don't need to find a story or whatever. I can look at Jesus, and I think the most powerful moment that we see in, in Jesus' life of courageous humility is when, the God, when God of, of all right? Our heavenly father calls him to the cross and moments before he is beaten and whipped and, and carries his cross to the hill to be crucified, he prays in the garden, God, I, I don't want to do this. I mean, if you read the gospel of Matthew, that's what basically Jesus says in the garden. He's praying the life out of himself and he basically says to God, I don't, I don't want to do this, but if this is what you want, I'll do it. And so I think when you couple those two things together, that's what being led by the Spirit means. If, if you have a heart that breaks for what God breaks for, if you ask yourself that question, God, what, what's just crushing your spirit around me? And then you take a humble yet courageous posture of, maybe I don't want to do this. And that's okay to say. Jesus said it. But your will, not my will. I want this cup to pass for me. I don't want to have to walk through this thing, but your will, not my will. That's humble courageousness. That's, that's humble 
courage. And to be led by the Spirit means to be continually asking yourself, God, what breaks your heart? And then what do you need me to do about it? And, and just saying yes. I'm, I would never stand up here and tell you what you need to do with your life or tell you this is the decision you need to make or that decision. But I would tell you and encourage you to pray and ask God and then just say yes. And sometimes, sometimes yes is a hard yes. And sometimes, yes, sometimes we just say no. I know I say no all the time. And then you circle back and you have those moments. And I think that what Pastor Joey talked about last week is so powerful, right? He's talking about at his church how they've been praying in faith and they've seen some healings and some miraculous things happening. And I wonder to myself, thinking back to that conversation, if I had just said yes, even though it seemed hard, would I have more stories like that in my life? And, and, and that's just me asking me that question. And knowing at the end of the day, I think the answer is yes. I'd probably have more stories like that if I, if I was more courageous in my humility before the Lord. The last thing is, is this. Uh, he was filled with faith. He was led by the Spirit. But he was also moved by conviction. He was moved by conviction. I'm going to fast forward the story a little bit. We're in Numbers 13 and 14. And if you fast forward through a bunch of other stuff, the Israelites, I'll, I'll spoil it for you. The Israelites end up going with the, the opinion of the 10 spies, not the two, not Joshua and Caleb. And they decide not to go into the land. And obviously we read in the story, God says, fine, if you don't want to go, then none of you will see that. And he sends them into the wilderness. And they wander around for 40 years until every single Israelite that's 20 years of age or older, except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, passes away. And then when those three and everybody that was under 20 years old are prepared and ready after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, then they go back into the promised land. We fast forward the story, and in Joshua 14, 7 through 8, this is what Caleb says. He's having a conversation with Joshua. Moses has died. They've destroyed the, the city of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. They walked around. The walls fell down. And he says, I was 40 years old, Joshua 14, 7 through 8, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. He's saying that from a ripe old age of 85, 45 years after God had told him, I'm giving you this land. How many of you know that might be a difficult thing to hear at 40? I'm giving you this only to have those people around you be discouraged and decide no, I don't think we're ready, and walk away and wait 45 years to step foot back in that land across that river. I, I think one thing we see here is that Caleb was willing to be moved by conviction. He was going to hold firm to his beliefs. He knew what he believed, and he trusted in the promise of God. And so he held firm to that. Jesus tells a little story in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7. It's a, it's a little children's song that we used to do in Sunday school when I was a little kid. Uh, it was about the, uh, uh, the, the, the foolish and the wise man and uh, where they built their houses. It's a small three-verse parable that Jesus tells. And he says, the, uh, 
the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. When the rains came down and the storms came up, the house on the sand went splat. <laughs> That's the children's song. The way that Jesus says is maybe a little bit more poetic. In Matthew 7, 24, he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. We have an opportunity to hold firm to our convictions, and we're not hoping in something that's wishy-washy. We're not trying to hold fast and true to something that may or may not be good advice. We have the words of Jesus. We have God's word. It is firm. It is unshakable. It is faithful and true. And when you build your house on that, when the rains come and the flood comes and the storm and the wind, guess what? You're not going anywhere. And we know life, right? We've all lived long enough, most people in this room, to know that there's going to be rain, and there's going to be floods, and there's going to be wind, and some of that's going to be physical, and some of it's going to be mental, and some of it's going to be emotional, and some of it's going to be relational, some of it's going to be spiritual. But I tell you this, Caleb was somebody that was moved by convictions. He knew what God had said, and that was all Caleb needed. The moment God said, I am giving you this land in 13.1, Caleb knew how the rest of the story went. He was going to go into the land and take it because God had given it to him. And if God had said it, I can believe it. I can trust it. I'm going to do it. That's all, that's all Caleb needed to know. Caleb didn't need to know how the book was going to end. He wasn't worried about who was finishing Numbers 14, 15, 16, and the books that were coming after that. He was worried about what God was saying right? Whether or not he was filled with faith, was he being led by the Spirit, and then was he moving by conviction? I think about the other 10, and I, I, I was reading about Caleb so much, and I was thinking to myself, man, what are these other 10 guys? What a sad story that is. And I want to be really harsh and really critical of them and think to myself, like, you 10, what are you doing? God said he was going to give you the land. But I know the end of the story. And also at the end of the day, I, I know I've been those 10 guys. I, I just have. It says in Numbers 13, verse 31, the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Can I share this with you, local city? When you see yourself the way the enemy sees you rather than the way God sees you, you've already lost the battle. When you see yourself the way the enemy sees you rather than how God sees you, you've already lost the battle. Can I tell you, I did, a, I did a little research and I looked up the 12 names of the, the 12 guys that went into Israel. We'll put that slide up there, even though I said I wasn't going to show this slide. I feel like I'm supposed to. If you look at this, 
these are what the English translations are on the left. But in Hebrew, that's what the names mean of the 12 guys that were chosen to go into the land. Joshua, God is my salvation. Caleb, faithful, wholehearted. Makes sense, right? So he's named. There's some other good ones up there. Renowned, redeemed, my deliverance. God is my fortune. People of God, God's redemption. These were men with identities that were founded in Christ, that were built on solid foundation. And yet when God spoke, they struggled to listen. They started to see themselves the way the, the enemy saw them, as grasshoppers in our own eyes, rather than what, what God had ordained for their parents to call them and, and, and base their life upon. I think there's three things that keep us from really struggling to obtain and walk in a different spirit. Those three things are being unsafe, uncomfortable, or unclear. Can I, can I share some hard truth with you today? The Bible doesn't promise you any of those three things for being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no promise of, of, of safety. Now, provision, sure, certainly. Blessing and favor, absolutely. But there's no promise that your life won't end someday or how it will end. There's no promise that you say a prayer of salvation and it's comfortable for the rest of your days. There's no promise that there's some deep revelation that you get all the instructions of your life and you'll never make a wrong choice again and everything will be clear. None of that's promised. But if we're not filled with faith, if we're not led by the Spirit, if we're not moved in our convictions, we can surrender to these things that are real concerns, but that we don't have to be concerned with if we continue to build our lives on what we know to be true on God and His Word, because His promises are yes and amen. They are faithful and forever. His Word is not changing. And so there are going to be moments just 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 like with the 12 spies where you look out on and, and and you survey the land and you look at the people and the fortified cities and the storms that are coming and you wonder how am i going to be safe in that how, how am i going to be comfortable there how how am i going to find my way through that and, and, and really the honest answer for me is in your circumstance, I, I don't know, but God does. But God does. We can look at the verse here in, in Numbers. It said, we can't attack those men. They're stronger. They spread the bad report. And starting in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, That night all the members of the community raised their voices. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and said, Only if we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness... Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by our sword or our wives and children be taken as plunder? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The first thing that we talked about is being unsafe. That's what they questioned. What if I lose it all? What if something happens to my family? Those are real concerns. But ultimately, their perspective has shifted from what, what was to be gained to what could be lost. God had promised them the land. And sure, that might come with the sacrifice, but he was going to see that promise through 
if they were faithful. Sure, it it was probably going to be uncomfortable for them to walk into what God had for them. But the alternative, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They were slaves. Sometimes the bondage we're in feels more comfortable than stepping out in faith. But I can tell you that it's a lie that you're meant to stay there. or That's all there is for you or that you are that thing. No, you're not. God has more for you. It might be uncomfortable to step out or to say no to that thing or to walk in a different circle or experience something else. But what's at stake? What's to be gained? Be unclear. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They already had a leader. They had Moses, the guy that just parted the Red Sea and and then called a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to lead them and then brought down manna from heaven with a prayer and then hit a rock and water came from it. That guy, we should choose a leader. You have one. Sometimes it's easier because you know the way back because that's how you got there instead of finding the way forward. And so you start to doubt and question and think that you need to redo things or do something different or trust someone else. But the the answer is honestly, you're on the path and it's just not easy, and you can keep going. You can keep going. Why, why do I know that's true? Because I know the end of the story, and I know if, if he did it for Caleb, he can do it for me. If he does it for me, I know he can do it for you. Joshua 14, 10, this is Caleb. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. You can just see this 85-year-old guy saying that. I can go take him. I'm 85. I'm feeling good. I'm in my prime. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Why, why do I want to be of a different spirit like Caleb? Why am I so concerned with filling up myself with faith and being led by the spirit and moved by conviction and seeing myself the way that God sees me? Is because I know the end. God is faithful. God is faithful. That, that's, that's it. If you take nothing else from today, I hope that you walk out of here knowing that wherever I'm at, I'm on a journey to experience the faithfulness of God if I will but submit to life with a different spirit. I love this verse in in Psalms, and we're going to close a little differently today. Uh, We're going to sing a little song. I'm not going to sing it because you don't want to hear me sing it, but we're going to sing. Psalm 28.7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart triumphs. And with my song, I shall thank him. 
We just finished up a week of Thanksgiving. I hope your holiday was good. We're excited about moving into Christmas and our talks and you got invite cards. But before we step into Christmas time, and I know some of you have already been there for a month, before we step into Christmas time, let's, let's take a sweet moment to pause. And, and sometimes God works linearly and, and you need to work on some faith and then maybe some, some spirit things and then maybe move into some, some movement by conviction or maybe it's out of order and God's working on something in you right now. But let's all lean into this idea of a different spirit, knowing that God is faithful. And, and let's do what the word says. Let's, let's thank him with the song. And, and if you grew up in church, and, and I did with, with pews and hymnals and that sort of thing, there's an old hymn called Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I just want to take a second as a community of believers, as people leaning into this idea of a, a different spirit, to just honor God for his faithfulness. So we're going to sing it a couple of times and then we'll, we'll close briefly. But if you'd stand up, I'll uh, turn it over to the worship team briefly.